What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of X Knows All. So excited to be here. I'm feeling invigorated after being sick for the past, you know, a couple weeks ago after I came home from Denver. I talk all about it on the Danielle Bernstein episode, but I'm feeling like a brand new person. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because the holidays are upon us. Maybe it's because I just got LASIK. Maybe it's because one of my best friends, Emily, is coming to visit me next weekend. Maybe it's because, I don't know, who's to say? That being said, I am so excited to be here with you guys today. There are so many things that we need to catch up on. And I actually found it pretty interesting that when I disclosed I was going to be covering Balenciaga on my Instagram at xnosall, which by the way, please motherfucking follow me. My Instagram is a little over 1k and I know more people are listening. So if you want to see all the side-by-side photos that I'm discussing today on today's episode, or you just want to see my beautiful, stunning, and smart face on my Instagram stories, then please shoot me a follow on Instagram. The link is right in the show notes so you don't even have to like try and find me just go into the link in the episode description and hit follow i promise you my content is fucking fire but with that said where was i even coming with this well i think that i was pretty shocked that when i disclosed on my instagram that i was covering the balenciaga scandal a lot of people were like praising me they're like thank you so much for calling out like the sadistic nature of of this brand we need to cancel them and i'm like is it even is it even, um, uh, is it controversial to take this, to have this take on them or to speak out on what's happening? For me, the objective of covering Balenciaga specifically this week was because there was so much fodder on the internet. And frankly, when I see so much going on, I feel almost daunted to understand what particularly is going on with any specific scandal. So I figured most of you are probably just as confused as I was. We see all the Kim Kardashian scandal around it. We we saw photos of the ad campaigns that were released that were the reason for the controversy. But like, what else is behind Balenciaga that makes it so demonic, so satanic adjacent, so child predatorial-esque? Uh, so I wanted to shed light to it in a bite-sized episode for you guys. Um, so look forward to that. I'm also going to talk about White Lotus season two. As you all know, if you follow me on Instagram, this season is absolutely incredible. I didn't think that season one could be topped because I think Mike White is an absolute genius and he proves time and time again, and this season is a testament to that, that he's fucking brilliant. I think it's really interesting because season one focused a lot about white privilege, And about how basically white people can get away with murder and have nothing end up happening to them. And I think this season really focuses on the gender dynamics between men and women. And I like that they touch, like, I'm not very smart when I can talk about these things. But I think what I really find interesting is that he can speak so much about societal norms around gender roles and, you know, toxic masculinity, things like that while at the same time making it a dark comedy, it's it's brilliant. I don't think there's any show on television that's quite like it. And I think if you don't have an HBO Max subscription, I highly, highly recommend just literally paying one month for it just to binge season one and season two is about to be over come two weeks from today or sorry, a week from today. So I just definitely recommend it. I think HBO Max turns out the best content 
And I think their shows are top of the game, which speaking of, if you guys watch Sex Lives of College Girls, shout out to my little cousin, Sierra Cotto, who is Evangeline on the show. Uh, she, you know, I always talk about being famous. I'm like, you know, I'm just, I want to be motherfucking famous, but my cousin is actually like killing it. She's been a comedian for, since we were kids. She's been doing stand up for years in LA and in Boston. She went to Harvard, you know, no big deal, but, um, she yeah she stars in the show and that is another HBO Max show that's in everything of the sort of show it's so funny it's one of those shows where you know how sometimes shows are created by writers that are like a little older so they're not really up to date with like how millennials or Gen Zers communicate with one another I think Emily in Paris is such a good example of that it's like you're it's very clear that like 53 year olds are writing the script and like showing what Instagram is like or what text messaging is like whereas sex lives with college girls it's so relevant to like how we as a society or like young adults or adults communicate with one another in this social media world and I think that's what makes it all the more relevant and funny so again if you don't have an HBO Max subscription I highly recommend getting one so let's dive right into the episode um let me just up top discuss what I'm going to speak on so a couple personal updates that I just touched on at the beginning my LASIK what I'm excited about uh, next weekend then I'm going to touch on the Balenciaga scandal I'm going to start trying to start from like start to finish so I'm going to discuss a few creepy facts about the brand even ahead of all the ads and the child photos that were released recently I'm going to talk about what specifically was disturbing about the photos, like what were the illusions and symbolism that were displayed in the ad campaigns that made it so sadistic. I'm going to speak on Balenciaga's response and the CEO's response. I'm also going to discuss Reddit users' takes and all the conspiracy theories around it. Uh, I'm also going to speak about White Lotus, just like I said, and fan theories about who's the one that gets killed, what are all the nuances on the show, what do I think about all the characters. If you don't watch the show, no worries, because that's going to be covered at the very end of the episode. So let's quickly talk about my, about me, you know, because it is my show. And for those of you that don't like listening to my life updates, then motherfucking fast forward because it's my show, okay? Some people are like, oh my God, I hate when you cover yourself. It's like, well, it's my podcast. So if you don't want to listen, then fast forward, okay? And I'll have, uh, I'll have like episode notes and timestamps. So if you want to fast forward to like the Balenciaga segment or the White Lotus segment, then you go free. You are free to do so. So my vision has been so bad since I can remember. I've had glasses, I've had contacts, like, and when I found out I was eligible for LASIK, I was like, oh my god, yes, sign me up. As long as I'm eligible, like, get me in the chair. I need it, I need it now. My surgery was scheduled six months ago. I went to Envision Eye Care Center. If you are considering LASIK, don't even think about it. I highly recommend it. The entire process was actually fun. I can't even really describe like how amazing the technology has evolved. My eye doctor had told me when he had like let me know that my I was an eligible candidate for LASIK because my vision had plateaued and my prescription wasn't getting worse. He's like, I got my surgery 20 years ago and it still holds, you know, you're 31 years old. You're going to reap the benefits of the LASIK if you get it now. And my friend Brooke, she one of her clients is the Envision Eye Care Center. So she was able to get me a discount. I will say it's very expensive. If you have an FSA, I highly recommend maxing out your your FSA and then paying the remainder like on a brand new credit card so you can get the points. But 
the eye surgery, I got something called Contura, which is like an even higher, I'm not exactly sure what it is, but it's like a more intense, like better laser. And it costs a bit more than like a normal LASIK procedure would. So all in all, I paid $5,200. Had I not gotten the discount, the surgery would have cost me $5,800. But if you think about it, when you have contacts, I had dailies that cost me like $500 for a year of prescription, a year supply. It kind of all evens out in the end. Like ultimately that'll just even out for like, you know, the next 10 years or whatever. So I definitely think that it's worth it from a cost perspective as long as you have that cash up front that you're willing to pay. And I also started a Chai Sapphire Reserve credit card so that when in the event that I uh, spent X amount of dollars within the first, I think like 90 days of you opening the credit card, you get 40,000 40, or 60,000 points. So I'm definitely going to use that to my benefit because my friend Allie, shout out to Allie, is getting married in Somerset, England at the Soho house. And because she's fucking fabulous her and her fiance are like barbie and ken so i'm gonna book like a business class ticket to go to london using my lasik points so i think all in all that's the approach that i took the entire surgery i was truly in and out between sitting my ass in the chair in the operating room to out it was like under four minutes it is the fastest thing ever it was the entire process was like fun in the sense that they really cater to you it doesn't feel like like a gross old eye doctor office the technology is so cool and you don't feel any pain whatsoever. They do put numbing drops in your eyes ahead of the surgery. They also give you a Xanax before and after the surgery so that you're relaxed and calm. Uh, and then they recommend this right when you're out of the chair, just sleep as much as you can in order for your eyes to heal. So I had the best sleep of my life because I was all Xanaxed out from the medication that the doctors had given me. I had slept 15 hours right when I got home. Your eyes need all the rest and relaxation. And I was able to drive to my appointment at 9 a.m. the next morning. And I got my surgery at 4 p.m. The, the earlier, I mean, uh, the day before. So if you're ever on the fence with it, Shannon from Fluently Forward has this LASIK blog post um, that I will link in the show notes. That really prepared me for what to expect. And if you go to Envision Eye Care Center, they're really explicit about what to expect before, during, and after the surgery. So like what you can and cannot do 24 hours after the surgery, what you can start doing after seven days, what you can start doing after 14 days. What I will say is that I was able to live a completely normal life literally the day after I was able to work. Of course, they recommend like putting on the artificial tears, looking, you know, getting away from your screen so that your eyes can adjust properly. But I was able to be completely normal after the surgery. It didn't hurt. The surgery was like low-key kind of fun. It was just so cool. I geek out geek out on that kind of stuff. There's no pain. So again, if you're on the fence, it is costly. It is expensive, but it is 100% worth it. And now I feel like my entire life has changed. I woke up and I could see. So that is my LASIK journey. Moving on to my plans for next weekend. So today I'm recording. It's Sunday, December 4th. My good friend Emily, she's the girl that I used to do my San Francisco podcast with. She's coming to visit me all the way from Boston. She's going to stay with me at my house in Orange County. And we're going to go travel up to LA on Friday night. And we're staying at the Edition Hotel in West Hollywood. It's like in the midst of all the action. And it's going to be, we're going to just live our most fabulous LA lives we're going to this like really trendy restaurant that's by all the bars that like all the celebrities go to so we have a dinner reservation with our friend Liz on Friday and we're going to meet up with a couple of friends that we used to work with when we were in public accounting 
where we have my friend Liz has like connections to Delilah's so I'm praying to god I see a celebrity please put out all the good feelers out there because you know maybe I'll even get paparazzi outside Delilah's like who's to say now that I have over 1,000 followers but I'm very excited about that I don't really have many plans Emily's like she's just like me like we'll have a fun night but then we'll just take it easy the rest of the day like we'll probably do a Pilates class maybe get like a facial maybe get a massage at this massage place near my house like it's gonna be such a good weekend and then we have the holidays upon us so I just feel like everything is falling into place with my new eyes you know what I mean it's like a Christy 2.0 so I know you're all so jazzed to hear about my life um some fucker left a review and she was like Okay, I feel so badly even calling her out, but like, I kind of get it. She's like, Ugh, you spend some, so much of your episode talking about yourself, but then a lot of you actually do like my personal recaps. So I do it for the people that enjoy them. And it is my podcast, so I am going to talk about myself. I'm so sorry to say, but I will try to keep the meat and potatoes of this episode specific to Balenciaga and the White Lotus. So without further ado, let's get straight into the episode. <laughs> When we talk about Balenciaga, I want to first, before we even dive into the ad campaigns and the sadistic things about what specifically in the photos were disturbing, I want to talk about the undeniable, like, disturbing facts about the brand itself before I even dive into the meat and potatoes. I also want to just disclose that any QAnon adjacent theories that I may discuss are not to push clout towards QAnon. Like, what I'm saying is that I'm going to discuss a lot of conspiracy theories that I read on Reddit, and I didn't fact check whether or not they were QAnon adjacent. So in the event that you hear me speak about something that you read was, like, a QAnon theory, it's not intentional. I think it's really important to acknowledge that all these child abuse adjacent images that was a part of the ad campaigns are in fact, reality. And we also need to disconnect it from theories that uphold QAnon as well. I think it's really easy to conflate or distort or take these things seriously, like these Balenciaga egregious photos, if you conflate it or mistaken it for just a wild QAnon conspiracy theory. I think that irrespective of what the QAnoners are saying, this is very real of what's going on with Balenciaga, and I fully condemn it. Um, with that being said, I want to say that if I owned anything Balenciaga today, I would sell it immediately. That's how disgusting I find this brand to be. There is absolutely zero ambiguity as to the sadistic nature of their ads, the child abuse that they were so explicitly nodding to in their marketing materials, and their blatant gaslighting of the public, the production company, set designers, trying to make us believe that they weren't a part of the deviousness to begin with. It's interesting that a lot of people are calling out Nicole, Nicole Kidman, um, who is a part of their brand. She's an ambassador of the brand. She's a part of their ad campaign campaigns. There was a blind item written on Crazy Days and Nights a couple weeks ago on November 28th, 2022, that read, quote, with all the rumors about her dad, did you really think that this permanent A-list actor was, was going to talk about her deal with the fashion house in the news? It's worth mentioning that Nicole Kidman's father did pass away in 2014, but around the time of his death, he was allegedly being investigated um, for being involved in a child pedophilia ring. Uh, her father was also accused of sexual assault by a woman named Fiona Barnett, who came out with very explicit details about the sexual abuse she alleges she suffered at the hand of Nicole Kidman's father. I think it makes sense why Nicole Kidman doesn't want to speak about the Balenciaga controversy, seeing as it may draw more attention to her father and the accusations against him even in his death. That's not to say that I still agree with her uh, vow to silence. I think that 
everyone associated with the brand should denounce the brand immediately. And I think I'll talk a bit about it, about it more in the episode, but I think Kim's statement that she made to Instagram was such a cop out. And I think if you're not disowning the brand completely, then I have no interest in supporting you any longer. Let's talk about the name Balenciaga and how my favorite actress Emma Roberts plays into this, specifically with respect to American Horror Story Coven, which is my favorite season besides season one of that show. So a Reddit user was quick to point out that on the season finale of American Horror Story Coven, in the witch burning scene, Myrtle Snow, who's played by, who's played by Frances Conroy, walked into the desert in a flowing floor-length crimson dress, presenting herself at the stake, and she cried out Balenciaga before going up in flames. People were quick to break up the brand name in three parts. So it's Balenciaga. And if I spell that, it's B-A-A-L, and then the second word is E-N-C-I, and then the third part is A-G-A. It's it's important to note that Balenciaga spells it with one A, whereas this user on Reddit is broken up into three words in which Ball had two A's. So if you put this term Ball, N-C-Aga, into Google Translate, it apparently comes up as Ball is king. And if you're unfamiliar with like the Latin etymology or where that term ball comes from it was originally used as the word for an owner master or lord in anti in ancient semitic languages before it was come to be referred to as a false god or beelzebub in what is known as islam or christianity people are speculating that the brand is a nod to the occult due to the name like etymology it's also worth pointing out though that while some users on reddit say oh the term Ball and see Aga means ball is king. Others are saying that no, if you take the direct translation in Latin, it actually means do what thou wilt. All in all, I think the term can be interpreted in a multitude of different ways, and I don't necessarily hold too much weight in the theory of the ball is king, but I think it's certainly just an interesting fact that I was reading um, frequently on the internet. So if we take a step back and I'm trying to understand what ignited the Balenciaga scandal. So in November of this year, 2022, Balenciaga dropped its second spring 2023 campaign, which featured some images that any normal human being would find disturbing and unsettling. To sum it up, the ads featured children holding teddy bears in bondage harnesses, and there were these bears were dressed in costumes, which felt very BDSM adjacent. Just a few weeks prior to the teddy bear bondage BDSM child pedophilia adjacent images, there was a separate ad that dropped earlier in November uh, twenty on November 21st of this year promoting the first installment of their spring 2023 collection. In the ad, there was a handbag that was laying flat on a desk over a spread of documents that was strewn over the desk. The documents included papers from United States versus Michael Williams, which was a decision by the Supreme Court that a federal statute prohibiting the pandering of a child did not violate the First Amendment. To be more specific about what exact document was featured in the campaign, it was an extract of an analysis presented by the late Justice Antony Scalia. It mentioned that, quote, virtual child pornography or sex between youthful-looking actors was not prohibited under federal law that states activities relating to material constituting or containing child pornography. Once the decision was upheld by the Supreme Court, there was, of course, a lot of strengthening of federal regulations regarding child pornography offenses, seeing as um, this Supreme Court decision had been, uh, you know, disturbingly upheld. Valencia, of course, when that ad campaign came out, they apologized and they removed the advertisement from their official Instagram account and from their website. 
They also filed a lawsuit against the production company that was a part of the ad campaign named North Six Inc. They also filed a lawsuit uh, to the set designer Nicholas DeHardines, as well as Nicholas's brand for including the aforementioned legal documents. Valencia then doubled down and claimed that the props in the photo shoot were provided by third parties who said they were, quote, fake office documents, which they later determined were actual real legal papers that were a nod to a real Supreme Court case. Balenciaga went so far as to say that they thought the documents came from a TV drama. They added, quote, The inclusion of these unapproved documents was the result of reckless negligence for which Balenciaga has filed a lawsuit. What's interesting is that Balenciaga later dropped the lawsuit against the set designer and the production company in in a decision that was made literally yesterday on Saturday, December 3rd. People were really quick to have really robust discussions about online about what it takes for sets to be designed and how literally every step of the shoot is designed and curated. Someone on Reddit said that they were an associate art director and how every single thing in a given shot is planned down to a paperclip. So I think what all these articles that I found were trying to say is that Balenciaga is saying, oh, you know, we don't take any, you know, it wasn't our negligence that these egregious court documents were in the ad campaign. It was actually the oversight of the production company, the designer, the set designer that we hired. But it's so clear and based on like just the rhetoric that I've been reading online that when you have a professional photo shoot with a name as big as Balenciaga, everything is approved by someone in the room at Balenciaga. And I think like, again, I always take it back to a corporate world, right? When we do like, so at my job, we do this like presentation to the like CFO organization, right? Every month. And we have a PowerPoint and that goes through like very robust levels of review, right? Before it's even like presented to the CFO organization, right? And this is just a presentation deck. That's a very confidential document that's only disclosed from like the people within the organization. Okay. And then we take that and we think about the Balenciaga ad campaign where this is literally going to be disseminated on their official website for any and everyone to look at. You were telling me that wasn't approved by high up people in Balenciaga? Bull fucking shit. So there's a lot of sadistic shit in the other ad campaigns that I'll just start knocking out what explicitly was disturbing about these photos. And I think these are the ones that are actually taking storm. People do see like that, you know, that briefcase with all the legal documents shown about. But I think the one that really was the nail in the coffin was the photos with the young children in them. The photographs featured six different young children, like toddler age, clutching destroyed teddy bear handbags. The fluffy bears that they were holding onto had black eyes, fishnet tops, and leather harnesses. There were also props like wine glasses and other gift items which were displayed around the kids or on the table in front of the kids. A lot of people on the internet were quick to point out that the teddy bear symbolism is actually quite sadistic since the teddy bear had panda eyes, which I guess represents sexually abused children. To create more insult to injury, more of the photographs included various types of duct tape surrounded around the children. One photo conveniently had a ski mask propped right next to the duct tape, which is like ski mask, like that's like child kidnapping shit. There's also a lot of white rabbit props in basically all of these photos. And according to one theory I read, the white rabbit is meant to represent the rabbit from the children's classic story, Alice in Wonderland, an idea that has been adapted into many other forms of entertainment, such as the Matrix. But essentially, this idea of the white rabbit and the idea revolves around the fact that if you follow the, right, the white rabbit, it will ultimately lead you to the truth, whatever it may be. 
The white rabbit symbolizes one's curiosity and the lengths that they are willing to go to satiate them. The idea in such theories is that if you follow the symbol long enough, you will soon discover depraved and degenerate things. There's a lot of QAnon adjacent conspiracy theories about what the rabbit represents, but again, I just think the fact that they're even putting the white rabbit in the photos, knowing the symbolism that it projects, is wanton and reckless uh, negligence. People on Reddit were also quick to point out that in one photo, there's like a height chart displayed in the background. You know, when you're a little kid and your parents take your height and they'll put it on the wall. There's a height chart displayed in one of the photos in the background, and there's a date marked on the wall that says December 9, 2021, which was coincidentally the day Josh Duggar was sentenced to prison for child pornography. In addition to the 12-9-2021 reference in the Bible, Romans 12-9-21 is a Bible verse that reads, Love must be sincere, let love be without hypocrisy, which for all intents and purposes obviously seems like a sweet Bible sentiment, but it feels incredibly demonic and sadistic knowing what other paraphernalia strewn around across the campaign. In the same height chart, the date February 3rd is present in the picture, which apparently is National Missing Persons Day. So if we keep going, there's a yellow, there's yellow crime scene tape, crime scene tape on the child-sized chair. Ironically enough, the crime scene tape reads ball, but not B-A-L. It's B-A-A-L in big black letters, which is literally, like I said up top of the episode, the name of an ancient Canaanite demon god known for sacrificing children. People were quick to point out as well that there was a bunch of white candles in the photos, which is indicative of satanic rituals. And one can- campaign that I already showed to my Instagram yesterday at Exnozol, there's this woman who's sitting in this office and there's like a stack of books behind her on the desk. And one of the names of the books on like the spine of the book reads the name Michael Borman. Michael B-O-R-R-E-M-A-N-N. The book apparently from what I read, features toddlers engaged in playful playful but mysterious acts with sinister undertones and insinuations of violence. According to the photographer who had shot that campaign, the objects as well as the children and the location chosen for the shoot was all selected by Valenciaga with numerous staff members present during the two days of photography. And I think what's really important to note is like, what's more sadistic? Having an ad campaign that is so blatantly and explicitly putting on a silver platter uh, symbolism and things that are indicative of child abuse or that these props just happen to be around and someone had access to these sadistic and demonic props and decided to throw them into an ad campaign. Like what is worse? No matter which way you slice it, it's disgusting. Of course, people were outraged when these images started coming up on the website and on Instagram and on November 22nd, Balenciaga responded with a statement, quote, we take this matter very seriously and are taking legal action against the parties responsible for creating the set and including unapproved items for our spring 2023 campaign photo shoot. We strongly condemn abuse of children in any form. We stand for children's safety and well-being. The CEO then went on to make a statement saying, I want to personally reiterate my sincere apologies for the offense caused and take my responsibility. This guy is named Cedric Charbit, um, and he wrote this to Instagram. He said, at Balenciaga, we stand together for children's safety and do not tolerate any kind of violence and hatred message. Balenciaga went on to disclose all the things that they're going to do to remediate the issue from occurring in the future. Uh, They made a statement that listed actions that the company is taking, including improving content validation processes, 
appointing an image board responsible for evaluating all content from concept to final asset, including legal, legal substantially and diversity experience. Gosh, I can't, I can't read. <laughs> appointing an image board responsible for evaluating all content from concept to final asset, including legal sustainability and diversity expertise. Appointing an external agency to evaluate content. Reorganizing its image department to ensure full alignment with corporate guidelines creating internal training programs on responsible communication, engaging with advocacy groups to protect children, and creating a fund for group for a fund for grants to organizations that protect children. Which is like, why were these this is just like a very basic thing, like have the right approvals. And the other thing I think of is like, who is why were there no whistleblowers? Why were there no, and like, and there's all these things that are coming out about Kanye, right? Like in the Adidas, how he was showing pornography to people high up at Adidas, how he was forcing, um, he was saying things to female executives and female workers at Adidas, like, I want you to make a shoe that I can fuck. He was showing pornography in executive meetings and like, no one was blowing the whistle, right? Until someone did. And it makes me wonder, like, who's sitting in these rooms that are signing off on these things? Like, why didn't someone say something? It just feels so immoral. And of course, there's so many big time celebs that are professionally associated with Balenciaga, including Nicole Kidman, Alexa Demi, and obviously Kim Kardashian. So if I go into a bit about Nicole Kidman and her father and everything like that, there are some theories circulating about Nicole Kidman and her father allegedly being linked to an international pedophilia cult called the Ninth Circle Satanic Child Sacrifice Cult. Her father has since passed. He died in 2014, but there have been a lot of things said about her father allegedly being a part of this pedophilia ring in Australia. He was a doctor, specifically a clinical psychologist at the University of Technology located in Sydney. In March 2022, the Australian National Review published an article detailing Dr. Anthony Kidman's alleged involvement in an elite Sydney pedophilia ring. At the time of his death, his alleged victim, Fiona Burnett, released a statement announcing the following, quote, The main perpetrator of my child's sexual abuse, Anthony Kidman, is dead after I filed formal complaints accusing him of the rape, torture, and murder of children in an exclusive Sydney pedophile ring. As a child victim of mind control, I feel he's been sacrificed for failing to adequately program me. Fiona Barnett revealed that the Australian Royal Commission into Child Sexual Abuse was in the process of investigating Nicole Kidman's father, Anthony. However, he moved out of the country and then he subsequently died in 2014. As far as I know, Nicole has said nothing. Uh, neither has Dua Lipa. I have had listeners DM me and say that Bella Hadid has since removed any Balenciaga adjacent campaigns from her Instagram, which I guess is the least you could do. I think with Kim and what's really interesting is that, and I was telling Tori this from Ready to Be Petty when we were recording earlier for her Patreon, is that I'm like a huge fan of the toast of Claudia and Jackie. And I know they have some problematic views and said some problematic things, but I think their show is so funny. And they've historically been huge, huge Kim Kardashian, overall Kardashian apologists. And I think for me, my relationship with the Kardashians, like, I don't like to cover them too much because I think we're already, like, so bombarded with Kardashian fodder and discussion and everything, which is fine. I think they've done a really poor job of pushing unrealistic body standards to, to women. And I think that's my biggest axe to grind with them. I do appreciate the inclusivity they have towards their brands like Skims and Good American, but I think 
what they've done to us as a society and how we as women view our bodies and you know the plastic surgery that they've clearly done but haven't copped to I think it's damaged us as a society more than I think we're willing to admit until I think it may be too late well there's going to be like case studies done in like 20 30 years saying how detrimental the body image farce that they've created has been to our society that said I think I do think, like, I do support their businesses. I do support Skims. I do support Good American. I do watch the show. Um, I love what Kim has done for the criminal, like, justice system. I think all in all, I love that I've heard that they're professional as hell. Um, They are very nice to their staff. I know that. They're they're very nice to fans. I I think there's a lot. I, I don't. I don't knock on them, I guess is what I should say. But the way that Kim has handled the Balenciaga scandal and hearing even Claudia and Jackie, who are, are Kardashian apologists to like a fault, it's almost, it's nauseating sometimes how much they'll uh, stand up and defend them for even when I think they've done bad shit for women's body image. The fact that Claudia and Jackie even said that Kim was wrong and that they are willing to denounce her for her involvement with Balenciaga and her refusal to denounce and step away from the brand was so telling. It's like even the biggest Kardashian stands like those two who are now denouncing Kim. It's like, holy shit. I think Kim may be in her flop era because of this. I think it's, it's so irresponsible for their, like everything I just read, I was so disturbed and everything I was reading about the ad campaigns and about Balenciaga and about the sadistic, nature of the brand it's like you're a mother it's you have a diligence to like provide for them and give them a great life which you have but at the same time I think she has this which the toast girls brought up it's almost like Kim has wanted so badly to get into the fashion world and Balenciaga has been her pathway to be into the high fashion world and they finally have She's entered into this world. They welcome her with open arms. After all, nearly a decade of trying to force herself in there. You know, like years and years ago, she was just Kanye's plus one at the Met Gala. And now the Kardashians quite literally run the Met Gala year after year. So I think she's seen such transformation with her relationship with fashion and the fashion empire. And I think she's unwilling to denounce them because she doesn't want to be cut off from the high fashion world that she's worked so hard for. And it's almost this this feeling of like maybe she feels a need to be included. And I understand that to a degree. After being pushed away from a, you know, from a world that you so much wanted to get into. And now that you're finally here, the last thing you want to do is step away by denouncing a brand. But it's like, let's do the moral thing, Kim. Let's do the moral thing. It's just so frustrating for her to not like actually, she did say, you know, a whole lot of nothing on her Instagram statement and she never said that she was going to stop working with the brand and it's like okay so now you're just wanting you want to get your bag you want to get your coin you're rich enough Kim you can step away from it it's, I'm really disappointed in her and I think that she's better than this and I think she's shown us she's better than this in the past but this is just so frustrating as a fan who's supported her businesses who's supported the show who feels like when it all comes down to it say what you want about Kim but I think She's a respectable businesswoman, and I think this is just going to knock her down, maybe not in the public opinion of the fashion world, but certainly in the public opinion. So that's all I have to say about the Balenciaga scandal. I'm curious what everyone else thinks about it, and after hearing all these um, dark dark facts, I must admit that when I was doing research for the episode, it just felt, I felt dirty, just like when people on Reddit were like, I mean, I'm only scratching the surface, right? Like people on Reddit have done the work 
on these conspiracy theory threads and what they've found and like symbolism and these photos and like it's just it's impossible to ignore the blatant and explicit it's like maybe one thing is egregious like maybe if that the yellow crime scene tape that had BAAL written on it okay maybe that was the only thing we can get past it but the fact that there were so many things in so many different ad campaigns that were so egregiously adjacent to child abuse is like we cannot ignore that that's all I have to say about that let's let's dive into White Lotus shall we all right so moving on to the White Lotus season two Sophie Ross who's going to be on the show in a week actually she has a substack that she released and she broke it down really quickly there are so many theories circulating on reddit if you're part of the white if you watch the white lotus and you want to read all the fan theories people are so smart on it and i read all these theories on reddit and she summed it up really well so i'll start with the first one so when daphne's discussing her trainer with harper and mistakenly shows her a picture of her children she's basically saying that the kids are the trainers they're not Cameron's children. And I think it's, I'm so stupid because I didn't even catch on to this. I was like, oh, interesting. Like, what is she? I had no idea that she was insinuating that the kids weren't Cameron's. I was like, I don't know. I'm like so stupid when it comes to this. I never catch up on like little intricacies in shows. Another thing that Sophie pointed out was Quentin talks about this lover that he had who was heterosexual that didn't give him the time of day and how he would do anything for him how he still longs for this lover this cowboy from the west a lot of people on reddit were saying wait greg went to denver which is out he's an american who is quote-unquote out west the lover that quentin is referring to is in fact greg jennifer coolidge's or tanya's husband People were also saying that perhaps when, you know, at the end of this most recent episode, he's like, would you, you know, I live for beauty. Would you die for beauty? People were speculating that perhaps Quentin is going to kill Tanya for her money and then use it to lure Greg back in, who's ultimately his lover, which I think is such a strong and plausible theory based on all the clues that have led up to that. Alessio, who Lucia says is her pimp, that she tells Albie is her pimp. We all know that she works for herself. I think it's really interesting that throughout the show, you have this juxtaposition between a generation of men. You have the grandfather, the father, and then Albie. His father and grandfather are such womanizers, and it's almost as if Albie tries to overcorrect for the sins of his generational trauma and the womanizer effect that his father and grandfather both have. And it was it was even more blatant when they were at breakfast, right? And Albie's father was like, I don't want you hanging out with those girls. And Albie was like, you know, you're one to talk. Who cares if they're escorts? Like, I'm sure that you and grandpa have used escorts before. And he automatically thinks that it's not up to the women to be in that line of work. He's like, you know, maybe that they're just victims of a fucked up system and they have no choice but to do sex work, right? But it's almost, as, it's like that's the complete opposite of what's going on with Lucia. Is She's very intentionally engaging in sex work so she could open her own store. She's really into fashion. But it's it's so funny to just see Albie conflate this idea that like women could never do any wrong right like they're forced into this it's not their choice and I found it so interesting when Albie's grandfather goes 
women aren't all saints, right? It's almost like you have Albie who's trying to overcorrect for the sins of his father and grandfather, and then his grandfather's kind of bringing him back to reality and saying, like, they're just as, what did he say? He's like, women are just as bad as us. They're not all saints or something to that effect. And he's bringing Albie back down to earth. I think Albie is so, he's so into the idea of, like, Lucia, and he's really starting to like her. It's like, Lucia is just as bad as his father and grandfather because it's so clear to me that Lucia is using Albie's niceness to her advantage. And she even says as much when she's with Mia and she goes, you know, after the first night that she spent with Albie, she's like, he's so naive and rich. And then she kind of pauses and she says to Mia, I have the feeling that something good is going to happen. And she's basically saying so much as like, this is my meal ticket. And I think they're basically, the show is alluding to that. Because remember when they were in the ocean and Lucia is talking to Alba and she goes, he goes, oh, where are you from? She goes, oh, I'm from Catania. Where are you from? He says, oh, I'm from Los Angeles. She goes, I've always wanted to go to Los Angeles. I think she sees Alba as her ticket to California. And she's using that to her advantage. But again, it's just so interesting, interesting to see the naivety of Alba thinking that she's just a like prim and proper woman who would never hurt her when in fact her agenda is com- the complete opposite. I also find it funny that both Alba and Portia are sleeping with escorts, right? Because it's like they didn't plan that. But towards the end, right, of the last episode when Quentin is having sex with his quote-unquote nephew, who we all know is an escort, right? People were saying in the Reddit community that it's very frequent or commonplace in gay communities where if they hire like a younger man to join them on these trips, they'll refer to the young man as their nephew to basically insinuate, it's basically insinuating that he's a sex worker for this large group of of men. But back to, sorry, back to, I'm kind of getting off track, but back to Lucia and her pimp. She, I think she orchestrated that entire kind of fight that they had when her and Albie were eating ice cream. And she goes, oh, Alesso, you know, he was pushing her around. I think she completely orchestrated that. So Albie would be made to feel sorry for her and he would give her money. Cameron also makes a reference at the very beginning of the show. He's saying, you know, aristocrats, it's so funny in Italy, aristocrats, they have no liquid cash. They just have these gorgeous palazzos. And then, of course, that's a complete foreshadow of Quentin, who said at the very beginning, oh, you know, my uncle died. I was 32 years old. He left me with this palazzo. It's beautiful, but it's so much work and maintenance. It's. I think what's going on, obviously, is it's very clear that Quentin and the gays are taking advantage of Tanya's wealth and Tanya's money. And they're creating this veneer that they're equally as wealthy. You know, these are some high-end gays. They're creating this veneer as if they are equally as wealthy, but I think they're going to take advantage of her. And that was so evident. Remember when they were at the opera and she asks Quentin, Tanya asks Quentin, is that the queen of Sicily? And he says, yes. And then he looks over at his friends and they're all poking fun at her and laughing. It's like, clearly everyone is in on the joke except Tanya. And they're clearly using her for her wealth. To what extent? It's still very unclear. I also think that there's some allusions to Cameron, Harper, Ethan, and Daphne having an orgy. Uh, Evan Ross Katz on Instagram posted this side-by-side photo. And at the very beginning of the show, remember when the hotel worker said to the the couples oh you know you have this door and there are adjoining rooms that they can connect 
the rooms can connect to one another. And Harper goes, oh, we probably won't use that. And my friend Emily brought up a good point that maybe the guys want each other more than they want their wives. And I think this was really evident, again, when Evan Ross Katz put this side-by-side photo. Remember when the guys had their Molly-filled night with the sex workers and Cameron was kissing Ethan and kind of like all over him? And then the next morning when Ethan was super hungover about to barf, Cameron jokes with him and he goes, I want to be inside you. I want to make you feel good. I feel like the show was alluding to the fact that one, there's going to be an orgy that takes place between both the couples, or maybe there might be some homosexual romance between the guys and the girls. A lot of food for thought. I think this show just keeps me guessing. And I think that's just, it's so compelling. It's so, it's so fun. Did you knit your little cap? It's such compelling television. And I think there's so many things that you can interpret based on watching the show. I kind of feel like I'm watching like a murder mystery comedy it's like it's every genre genre that you could ever love is soaked into one it's like there's nothing more than i love than being in a nice hotel in a nice location like i always say that every time i travel i'm going to be in a nice hotel because that i think makes the vacation i'd rather splurge on a hotel than like a nice meal or whatever and i just i love the scenery i love the way it's shot i love the cinematography even everything down to the wardrobe is phenomenal the way that they dress portia is so spot on i'm just oh i'm so obsessed with the show Again, if you don't watch it, highly recommend. With that being said, thank you guys so much for listening to the episode. I want to quickly give a shout out to my five-star reviewers. Amy Jo Dane, thank you for saying that reviews matter because they certainly do. Please rate, review, subscribe, make me famous. And to Allie Loves Podcast, thank you so much for saying that I'm like, you want me to be your big sister. I would so gladly be your pseudo big sister. And I'm not even sure what life advice you're talking about, but I'm here for listening here as always. My DMs are open. Thank you guys so much for listening to Exmo's All. And as always, please rate, review, subscribe. Follow me on Instagram. Make me famous. Love you guys. See you on the next one.